Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. Welcome back to another episode of the Youthscape podcast, where we talk about all things to do with youth ministry um, and we chit chat for a bit. So let me introduce you to my chit chat chum, Martin Saunders. Wow, your chit chat chum. <laughs> Welcome. That, came, that just dropped into my mind, Martin, from the heavens. Let's let's just be honest. That I mean, it's so nice to see you. It's so nice we're, to re- see you. We're recording in person, in person oh, at, with microphones at Butte Mills. The uh, HQ quality? of Youthscape. Does it sound better, listener? Lovely listener. I think I think we all know it does. Oh, it does. And uh, you've driven an awfully long way to be here, haven't I, you? I did. Drove through the night. I drove through the night, which means that, do you have these mornings where you think you're going to be up and at it from the second you get up? But actually, we had a leisurely breakfast. I was, I was staying over at Curtis Towers, so a few of us of the team staying there last night. We had a nice breakfast. That literally sounds like he lives in a castle with many it rooms. It does sound like that. In my, in my boss's house are many rooms. He cooks a mean feast, doesn't he? So he does. we ate loads of food. And then we've sort of done a drive through, had some more coffee, said hello to the team. Normally, I feel like I'm 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 rushing in to do an episode for Youthscape Podcast, but today I feel like I'm sort of floating in on the wings of a dove. You're serene. I'm serene. It's great. So welcome, Martin, and welcome yeah. all you lovely listeners from near and far. I wonder where you're tuning in from. Do drop us a little email. Tell us where you listen to this from. That would mean a whole lot to us. But Martin, how are you doing this morning? Well, I'm day? well. Yes. As, as I was going to say, it's the start of the day, so we're going to, you know. People know this is how it works. We're going to record a few of these today um, that will be released over the the coming weeks. And of course, because this is the first one, Mm -hmm. you get sparky things like chit chat chum come out of your your mouth. We're both feeling great. We are. Uh, We've both slept well at the luxuriant palace (laughs) that our boss calls home. We're fueled by the Holy Spirit and caffeine, like most of you. You know, let's just see when we get to episode 12, how we sound. I know. Well, I reckon we probably could get straight into our interview because let's face it, that's what everyone has tuned in for today. Yeah. Because the show notes, we're like saying, guys, this is a huge topic. And it probably is worth saying with, with all of these episodes, we're talking about the challenges, day to day challenges that we might be facing in our youth ministry. And the topic today does come with a bit of a trigger warning. We're talking about aspects of sex, relationships, and particularly at a certain point, you and Gareth talk about abortion, don't Yes, we you? do. So just a little trigger warning. If particularly that issue has been, uh, has affected you in some way, has been part of your story in some way, we just want to make you aware that we're going to talk about it. Not insensitively, but we are going to talk about that. So, it, you know, that's a little heads up if that maybe isn't something you want to listen to. Um, you can just skip straight to me and me and Rachel talking at the end. Now, what I love about this interview is that you and Gareth sort of grabbed this opportunity. And, and how was it for you opening up this space with him? Because he's a planet brain with this stuff. He is, uh, is absolutely a planet brain. And he really does spend a lot of time thinking. And uh, he's a theologian. He's also a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. He keeps up with kind of trends and what's going on. Gareth is someone that I 
call when I when I want to know what's going on in the world. Yes. Um, yeah. More generally, actually. Yes. Um, and so uh, he brings that specific kind of knowledge that he has around sex and relationships education. Um, but it is a wide ranging interview. So we go we cover a lot of ground in half an hour. Um, and uh, perhaps we should get into it. What is his full name, please? Because you always get this wrong. Gareth Cheeseman. Yes, but for years you said... Chessman. Yeah. I know. Weird that, isn't it? I love the name, the surname Cheeseman. Yeah, it's, it's great. Brilliant. Well, we get into that. Let's yeah. start there. Okay, here we go. This is what happened when Martin Saunders and Gareth Cheeseman talked about cheese, names and sex. <laughs> Youth workers often tell us they're starved of really meaty stuff when you get to think not just about what you're going to do next week in your youth group, but when you have a chance to explore the why. What are the big challenges in culture and how do we in the church respond? If we don't think about that stuff, we're in danger of just repeating the same old material but with less impact as young people's world changes. And that's why five years ago, Youthscape teamed up with St. Melitus College to launch the Youthscape St. Melitus Annual Lecture. It's a free evening event where you'll get the deepest and latest thinking about young people and youth work. On the evening of May the 15th this year, we're holding the 2023 lecture. And guess what? You're invited to come in person to St. Melitus College in London or to listen online all for free. Chloe Comby is one of the UK's most admired broadcasters after her award-winning podcast released during lockdown, You Don't Know Me, in which she interviews young people about the issues that matter most to them. Their startlingly honest words about everything from gender to education challenged our assumptions about teenagers and what they really believe. In this year's lecture on May the 15th, Chloe will be sharing her latest findings alongside Chris Russell, who will be exploring their implications for Christian youth ministry. It's your chance to get some really deep insights that take you beyond what game to run next week and help you to step back and see the bigger trends emerging. So there are two ways you can attend and both need you to register in advance on the Youthscape website. If you come in person to St Melitus College, you'll get a glass of wine, a goodie bag and a free download of the lecture audio and video to be able to listen again afterwards. If you can't get to London, you can listen online, but you'll also need to register in advance at youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. That's youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. Tickets are available now to take your chance to get some really meaty thinking about young people and youth work. Unless you're a vegetarian. In which case you'll get some meat-free corn thinking. Does that work? I'm not really sure. Anyway, see you guys on the 15th. Gareth Cheeseman. Let's begin by talking about your name. <laughs> so uh, we started to, we started talking about it. I Rachel Gardner insists on all, always calling you Chessman. Yeah, um, you are definitely a Cheeseman. Absolutely. But there's been some fragmentation in your family surname over the years. Yeah. So my great granddad couldn't spell. Um, he's a lovely guy. He, in the census, you know, his address was the caves. He was a troglodyte <laughs> in the local village. Um, but he, some of his children had the third E, some of them didn't, but we're definitely Cheesemans. We've been Cheesemans for centuries. Okay. And there's some great historic Cheesemen right back in there. Oh, more than one. More oh, really? One. Yeah, yeah. But well, one, tell us, just tell us about one. Uh, well, the one of the ones most recently, Evelyn Cheeseman. Look her up. Amazing. First female collector at London Zoo, like the head of okay. a, a house. Huge, amazing woman. Um, but you're talking about the uh, the falconer. So there is a Cheeseman who was a falconer for King Henry VIII, who was a Cheeseman. Oh, I don't, you see, I don't have anything in, like that in my family. You probably do. You just don't know it. I think I might be related to the Guinness fraudster. 
Ernest Saunders. <laughs> but I'm sure there'll be more as well. It's just, it's sometimes so hard to find people on that. We just claim them. Well, welcome to the Escape Podcast. Not your first time, actually. Do you know how many, is this three? Yeah, I believe so. But one time. of them might have been a live recording oh, at National oh, Youth Ministry. No. <laughs> oh, no. We don't speak of those anymore. Um, so we've been going about six years. You're allowed to be on it three times that's absolutely fine uh thank you for coming and you've come a long way just for this haven't you you've like come halfway down the country for it always a pleasure to visit youscape yes well you're based in chester and you work for asset mm -hmm. uh so tell us a bit about asset uk yeah so asset was founded in the 80s as a compassionate christian response to the hiv pandemic and originally it was founded there were people who were just being treated terribly kicked out of hospitals not allowed treatment not allowed you know just terrible treatment and it was about providing care for these people facing discrimination from aids related illnesses and how do you tackle that level of discrimination and hate you've got to do some education and that's why we started doing a little bit of hiv education and then over the last 35 years we've grown from hiv education to a broad relationships and sex education focus in the uk so we're split between direct provision so i go into schools i go into alternate youth provisions providing relationships and sex education all from our christian foundation and training others to do the same so we've kind of got two sides to our work and just to explain to me see christian founder mm -hmm. christian and we'll get on to him christian founder uh, Christian beginnings. How, how how does it work now? Is it a Christian organisation or an organisation founded on Christian principles? Oh no, we're a Christian organisation through and through. Our schools work um, takes a, um, a a neutral stance on issues. So we've got a Christian foundation, but we're not bringing chapter and verse into our lessons on relationships and sex. We train a wide variety of people. We've got a heart to train up Christian youth workers, schools workers because we recognize there's something really valuable about Christians speaking into the space of relationships and sex. And some of them, some of our long-term members, um, I'll give a big shout out to the message, their Respect Me program. They bring chapter and verse back into it and they provide a Christian-based and Christian content version of relationships and sex education. But we'll work with anybody. We'll support um, anybody who wants to come to us and get trained by us. We've done a significant amount of work over the COVID pandemic of switching to online training. And that's opened up the door to a whole variety of different groups and individuals. And we've worked, we've ended up working with a few groups in the Middle East. Some of them working under some quite restrictive uh, cultural and government rules about what they can say around relationships and sex. And they're turning to this relatively small Christian charity in the UK to train up their staff to talk about relationships and sex. So we want to, we want young people to get good relationships and sex education based on a Christian foundation, but we want it, as many people as possible to be doing a good job. And so a word about the founder and the moment in mm -hmm. which Asset was founded. So uh, Patrick Dixon is kind of the the, the founder of Asset, is that yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, amazing. Is he a futurist or a futurologist? I feel like one is a, like a fortune teller. I think futurologist. I okay. Think, I think. Could All be right. wrong. One or the other. Yeah. But he looks into the future and makes predictions which are scarily often very accurate. And a lot of that started with HIV. So yes. he was one of the first people who started to go in, hang on, let's wait a second. We see this biological impact. We see this being played out as tragedies in the lives of all these people. But what's that going to do to the employment base of a developing country when they've got 10% of their population, you know, taken out of the workforce? 
and gone, no, that's, we need to pay attention to that. And that was kind of some of his initial things that he first started doing. And that kind of snowballed into him being recognized as being one of those people who can bring together threads from different disciplines to make educated guesses about what's in the near future. Yeah, and sometimes very, mm -hmm. very um, prescient uh, guesses indeed. So um, I will say no more than, and this is the first time we've said this, uh, if you like Patrick Dixon, you really should, uh, you should come to the National Youth Ministry Weekend <laughs> this year. Um, and you can read between those lines. I think everybody knows what I was getting at. Um, so Patrick obviously um, looked at, I mean, let's just talk about AIDS, HIV. Mm. So, um, so at the time, obviously, in the way that it emerged, yeah. it hit the world like a train. You know, people did not see it coming. Um, there were obviously people who um, whose work previously on obscure viruses actually mm. helped us get a bit of a head start on it. And that's perhaps where we are, why we are where we are today. But what's been the journey with AIDS, HIV, and wh where do we find ourselves now? In the most hopeful place we've been up to now. Like we're in a hopeful place because uh, HIV is an incurable virus. We have got no hope for a cure and we don't really have a hope for a vaccine due to complicated reasons to do with the way the virus mutates. Mm. But what we've done is we have found medication to treat HIV. So when I first trained in relationships and sex education about 15 years ago, um, we were taught to say to children in classes, if you get HIV, we can delay it, but you will get sick and die. That's what we were taught to teach. And that had been the message since HIV had been recognized and talked about in schools. But now that's not the message. We've, we've hit a really important landmark. The medication available called antiretroviral drugs combination therapy that they can use are so good at disabling HIV once it's in the body that someone who is infected with HIV today is likely to live a normal or near normal life expectancy. So what we mean by that is, you know, they're going to get got by something else. They're going to have a heart attack or hit by a bus or mm. something else will be the thing which shortens their life rather than HIV. So it is no longer the death sentence it once was. And that's, and that's extraordinary. It, it literally has changed the entire landscape around it. The problem we still have internationally is inequality. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because presumably those drugs are expensive and only accessible if you're in the right part of the world. The really curious thing about it is it, it isn't a cost of the drugs most of the time. It's accessibility. So think of a small village in rural sub-Saharan Africa where they've got someone living with HIV, but they're also a subsistence farmer. They can get free drugs. The, the, the country knows how devastating this disease is. They've got free drugs, but you've got to go to the hospital, mm. hospitals in the city. To go there, you need to get a bus or a taxi. You've got to miss a day's work. You've got to pay for it. You've got to queue up. You've got to wait. And it's not that they can't get them into the country, but we can't get them that last mile to the actual person. And these, um, and sometimes it's geography, sometimes it's social or legal reasons, but these underserved communities are not getting the access treatment that's ready available. Are there thoughts about how to tackle that? You know, what, what, what is the answer to that problem? Um, more robust health systems. And actually having robust health systems and equality is what's going to really take us to the next bit. We've got an aim to eliminate HIV because if we can stop onwards transmission, eventually it will age out of the out of the population. And, and it, this is decades long. Like we've got to be put in work in now, which we may not see the fruit of for another 50 years to see actually the elimination of HIV. But it is within grasp. We now can, well, there is a road 
map to how we could eliminate onwards transmission of HIV. And if and that, that's such a wonderful story of hope and so far away, yeah, long way to go. And it's going to take a long, concentrated effort now, um, we are gonna, we're doing a season on um, tough questions in youth ministry. I didn't even know we were going to just take a stop in there on HIV AIDS. Um, but uh, we're going to tackle a few things in this short interview. Okay, mm. so I thought, I've got you here. You're a man not short of an opinion or two. <laughs> True. Uh, and, uh, and you've obviously been a, a sex and relationships educator for a long time. So you've got lots of knowledge to bring, a bit of theology, your own... Uh, thoughts as well so we'll see where we go with all this but i'm gonna throw at you a few kind of classic tough questions mm -hmm. so these are big questions that we don't like asking in yeah. youth ministry and you have said i am up for anything i believe was uh, absolutely was the quote so i make no apologies for what follows um but we're gonna do we're gonna do a few of the classics mm -hmm. and see how we get on so um so the first question is around contraception mm -hmm. and young people so you're a youth worker, you're aware that young people in your youth group are sexually active. It's a Christian youth group. This is not what you want, right? You, your church teaches mm -hmm. sex is for within uh, a married relationship uh, and you, you really don't want young people to be sexually active, but you know that they are. Is, what, what, what do you say when a young person says, you know, I actually, I need access to contraception. Can you help? What, would, what do you do? First thing, you thank them for trusting you enough with such a vulnerable question. For a young person to ask their Christian youth leader those kind of questions, give yourself a you know a pat on the back. You're doing something right for a young person to be that vulnerable with you. So there's you know firstly, well done. Um, the two areas we can think about. Firstly, is what do we know about the impacts of giving condoms to young people? Because we've been doing this for decades, and we have got studies on it. And a lot of uh, people, you know, commissioners, funders have said, you know, does this mean that more young people have sex? So they test it. They do surveys across the world. And what we know is condom distribution doesn't increase sexual activity. So providing condoms to young people doesn't make it more likely that they're going to have sex. So you're not going to encourage them to have sex by giving them a condom. So if you're worried that that's what you're going to do is doing, the evidence isn't there to support that. Mm -hmm. So we're going to step into this realm of what we call of uh, harm reduction. Now, as Christians, we may think that uh, sex outside of marriage, we see emotional fallout. We, 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 we work with young people sometimes who uh, in the moment made a decision and long term we see them like wrestling with that or having difficulties because they then go later on to regret it. But chlamydia gonorrhea is also serious. We were talking about HIV, also very serious. If we provide condoms, we can mitigate some of the risks, some of the harms from behavior, which statistically, if they're going to do, they're going to do anyway. And if we don't provide them with condoms, they will either not use condoms at all, or they'll try and use a crisp packet or cause all kinds of terrible mm. things, mm. which you hear in urban legends. Mm. Um, so by providing a condom, what you're doing is you're making their life safer mm. and reducing the chance of some of the harm that they might encounter. Now, for some people, they might still go, I feel it's a step too far for me as the Christian youth worker to be the one to give it into their hand. Yeah. And then it's like, well, what other options are available to you? Do you have the NHS's um, sexual health service? It's youth focused. 
do you point young people towards that? Do you direct them to other sources of information? So there are other ways of doing it, recognizing that people may have strong, deeply felt personal uh, feelings around this, mm. but we're still having this conversation about how do I reduce the amount of harm? How do I show love to this young person? How do I meet the needs of the those who have a need? But let me just voice the objection that mm -hmm. might be brewing in some of our listeners here. Um, you know, by by doing that, am I not, I'm not encouraging in the sense that, um, you know, I'm making it more likely that they'll have mm -hmm. sex, but I am a kind of affirming by implication their decision to have sex outside marriage. Aren't I undermining my discipleship talk on sex that I've just given? It, it really depends on how we see what our role is, is is our is our first calling as Christian youth workers or Christian pastors, ministers, whatever we want to call ourselves, to help young people or to be right? And what what are we gonna be most known for by young people? And for some people, they may feel it crosses a boundary. I I struggle to see a strong argument which allows for young people to suffer physically unnecessarily on the sense of i don't want to look like i'm doing something and we've got some international partners so although my work's purely uk based but you know we work with international partners some of them in countries who are much more conservative than our own um and sometimes we need to look around at the church in you know the global majority world and said that they are they have found ways for their vicar to be celebrating condoms at the front on a sunday morning why aren't we able to learn from the steps they've taken mm. to go mm. this harm is real this harm must be prevented we need to do everything we can okay all right well that, look people are gonna have different opinions on this i we're, we're grown-ups having a grown-up conversation yeah. And we are stimulating some thoughts. So hopefully people will find this helpful. Um, now, the next question is not one I take lightly at all. Um, I realize this is, you know, for some people, this might be quite a difficult question mm -hmm. even for us to address. Um, but I think it's really important that we do. Um, and it's it surrounds the question of uh, pregnancy and abortion. Mm -hmm. So if we get to a stage where there's a young person in our youth group who has become pregnant more likely if you're not giving them condoms okay has become pregnant and has made the decision that they would like to terminate the pregnancy mm -hmm. now let's not get into the let's assume you've tried to talk that through with them you might have tried to help them explore other options they are absolutely set that this is what they want to do what is the correct pastoral response when they ask you to drive them to the clinic to, to have that procedure? It's a tough one. <laughs> um, and I speak with caution here, recognizing that as someone without a uterus, I've never had to personally face mm. that. So everything I'm saying, I'm saying with a huge dollop of caution and encourage you to not just listen to me. Listen and I'm to aware we are two, we're yes. two white men having yes. this conversation <laughs> inescapably. Yes. Okay. Um, well, it comes down to what is the most loving thing to do and to think about our role of being pastoral and how we interpret what it means to be loving. I know some people will say the most loving thing they can do is to take themselves out of that circumstance and not drive them 
because they cannot collaborate with something that they see as fundamentally wrong. Mm. Other people will say, if this is inevitable, if this is going to happen, regardless of whether they catch the bus or they travel with me, then the question remains, what's the most loving thing to do for that individual? Mm. We, we are called to work, visit people, work with people who may not be living perfect lives. You know, we talk about the difference between belonging, believing and behavior comes last. But sometimes when it comes to it, we go, but still, if your behavior doesn't align with what I say to be true, mm. I'm going to withhold my love. Mm. And that's hard and it takes reflection and there may not be a, this is the correct solution for all circumstances. It may depend on the relationship that you have with that individual young person and go, well, what's right in this circumstance? What is their support network? Do they have a support network? Am I their only support network? Does that change the dynamic of what I'm called to do in this circumstance? And it's never easy for people to consider this, but if we center the, the question of how do we love these young people, I think we will be more confident in our decisions, whatever they end up being. I agree. And, and, and look, theologically, mm. you know, do we believe that Jesus uh, decides to, you know, not be present in those rooms? No, absolutely not. Of course not. Jesus is absolutely as present in that moment of a young person having a termination as he is when they're in a worship service. Of course he is, because mm. otherwise our theology all falls apart. Mm. So then the question is, well, is that how is he present? Mm. And one of the ways in which God is present is through us and our participation in his work. So, um, again, you know, that is a, we'll leave it there because that is an incredibly emotive and difficult subject. I hope that you saw the trigger warning on this episode before um, you listen to this. Um, but, uh, but thank you for tackling it. Um, I'm going to, now we've hit some big ones. We're going to do one more. Mm -hmm. And it's pornography. Mm -hmm. So here's something fascinating. I was asked to do a, a podcast um, at the very outset of the COVID um, a pandemic. I'm not often asked to be on podcasts, but I was on one. And, and we talked about the implications of COVID. We were about six weeks in. So we sort of knew we were in for the long haul and we were in lockdown. And, and we had big questions about youth ministry. The second question I was asked by the interviewer was do we think this is going to have a catastrophic impact on the amount of porn use that goes on? Is this the big discipleship question, you know? Um, and so it became clear to me in a way that I hadn't really realized that for some people still, pornography is perhaps the biggest mm. discipleship challenge. As in, if you're a young person and there is pornography use in your life, then that is the biggest barrier between you and the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, where do you stand on that question? So do you, how might you have answered that question? Um, you know, how big a deal do you think porn use is? Um, we know it's massive. We know that lots of, if not all young people are looking at porn in some way. Yeah. Um, but how detrimental is that really? And how big a focus should it be for us as ministers? For me, I, I would expand beyond pornographies to think about sexualized media because um there are things which may not meet the criteria from pornography but i feel it may be more valuable to kind of also talk about so whether we're talking about the written word whether that's fan fiction or erotic literature um there, there there's all this wide area 
of uh, sexually explicit content which young people are encountering. And um, it's regularly talked about, going, you know, what impact is this having? We know that uh, people of faith um, are more likely to identify as being a porn addict than any other group in society. And we can start unpacking, well, why is that? Is that because um, people of faith are loaded by shame and guilt around sex anyway? And this is just an expression of it. Or is it because people of faith actually have a larger narrative and a story which allows them to be alert to some of the things that are going on, which maybe without that framework, it's easy to dismiss and ignore. So there is something significant there impacting. If you listen to the stories of people who have been impacted by pornography, they're real, they're significant. They seriously have damaged their relationships with themselves, their body, the people around them. Uh, I wouldn't, we cannot trivialize just how impactful pornography is in some young people's lives, but it's not all young people. And that's, it's something we have to be really, really careful with within relationships and sex education. Not all young people are having sex. Not all young people who have sex are going to go on to get chlamydia. Not all young people are traumatically impacted by pornography. And young people's experience of pornography is very varied. Some young people, their experience of pornography is they have been unwillingly shown an image. You know, someone's flashed a phone at them or sent them a link without explaining what it is. The relationship they have to that pornography will be very different to someone who's deliberately spending two hours an evening scrolling through websites, watching video and after video or reading chapter after chapter. So we need to dig a bit deeper into just this one. What is the impact of pornography onto young people and actually go, well, how are young people encountering it? Is There are some young people who it becomes a compulsive habit, which is destructive to their mental health, their spiritual health, sometimes even their physical health with sleep patterns being interp uh, interrupted. And we need to take that challenge seriously without just getting a big brush and saying all young people are porn addicts um, because some of them will never develop that relationship with pornography, whether they encounter it once, twice or, or, or very rarely. So we want a very um, a, a nuanced response and looking into it. We need to make sure that we are clear in what we do say about relationships and sex, how we celebrate how sex has the potential to be positive and that is a much stronger place to come for. And then we can work with the individual young people through our support, our small groups or one-to-one -one, and work out how they're, if they've been affected, how they've been affected and then how we can tailor support. And there are brilliant groups. I would uh, say the Naked Truth, um, amazing group. And if any youth workers are going, yeah, this is an instant, there's a young person in my group who's struggling at the moment. Don't try and deal with that yourself. Get some training, get some support, go to Naked Truth, see the resources they've got, which will help you to do this in a good way. But you're doing very well, I have to say. I've thrown a lot at you here. The last thing I want to do is because we talked about Patrick Dixon and futurism or futurology or whatever he does. And uh, I'd love us to just look a little bit into the future. Mm -hmm. And, and say, you know, it's probably true that the questions we've been asking over the last 30 years won't be the questions we're asking in youth ministry in 30 years' time, not all of them. Um, and there'll be new ones, mm -hmm. particularly around the ever-evolving world of sex and relationships. And uh, one of the things people often say about technology is if you want to look at the leading edge of any technology, you'll mm -hmm. always find sex and pornography there. There's mm -hmm. always, you know, whatever's new, sex and pornography is, is a pioneer in it. So... As we look ahead now to like how things are going to develop, we're in a world of AI, we're in a world of like increased connectivity and, um, and, and new technologies and some different 
relationship rules mm-hmm. emerging as well. What do you think are some of the interesting, big question, tough questions we're going to be asking around sex and relationships in the years to come? Well, apologies to anyone who came to my talk at National Youth Ministry Weekend because it's a little bit, uh, you'll hear some of the things I said. Very there. popular talk, I hear. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, polyamory is the one which I think is the most pressing. And polyamory is an umbrella term for actually very distinct and different types of relationships. So the polyamory term can be used as any kind of relationship structure which has more than two people. And sometimes people are using that term for what I kind of, I knew it previously as an open relationship. You know, they've got one serious romantic partner, but they're free to be physical with as many people as they want. Uh, and I would kind of call that an open relationship, but that often fits under the polyamory. But then you also get people who are in a committed, faithful, loyal relationship between free people only. And that's form of polyamory as well. And there's a famous instance of this one, like Tahiki... Watiti, the filmmaker, I was in a relationship so. with two women. Yes, but it, they knew about it. Yes. and it was it, it was, was just like the three was, of them. Yeah, and um, this is something which young people are asking us now in the classroom. So if we want to think about what does the Bible say about this and what does the Bible say about relationships with more than two people in and we're going to have to dig deep here and explore Old Testament, New Testament. When you've got, you know, heroes of faith who had two wives in the Old Testament, does that endorse it? Or or does some of the writings in the New Testament about how a church leader should have just one wife mean that that time has passed? Mm. Um, Again, this is a time when we can look to the majority church, the majority world, and look how have in countries and cultures where polyamory with one husband and usually multiple wives you know it's very patriarchal but in those countries where they have that how has christianity navigated that and the church of england has a policy for example on polyamory and their policy is don't kick out your second third or fourth wife keep them in the family unit don't add to it wow but keep them in the family unit because to kick them out is to make them effectively disadvantaged you know they will be without a home they will be out of income their children will be more vulnerable they will be more vulnerable so the greatest safety is stay as a family even though they may not want them to have multiple wives it's like stay together because you've made a commitment to this person and that must be protected because to release them to divorce them to kick them out makes them vulnerable so we might have to take a bit of a, you know, a humble moment and go, how has the world dealt with this? How do we deal with this? And is there anything to learn? Now, learning from them doesn't mean repeating it. We may look at it, learn from it, theologically reflect on it and come to a different conclusion in practice. But there is a time to learn uh, and to go, well, what are we going to do? How will we respond when we have um, a freeway relationship in our youth group? Yeah. And how do we do that really well and supporting those young people? And that, of course, is already here. That's not even the future. Yeah. That's already happening. Okay, give me one more. Give me one more future or maybe right now problem. I would say, um, and this kind of links back to pornography, but uh, let's think about artificial intelligence and the role of artificial intelligence. Now, what we have at the moment, the artificial intelligence, you've seen it all over you know, social media. It doesn't appear to be sentient. You know, it's just a natural language model, which is very, very good. It can basically pass what we call the Turing test, where an average person would find their comments indistinguishable from a human. So it's very, very convincing. Um, That technology, plug that into a, um, a computer game style system 
which allows people to have virtual partners, boyfriends, girlfriends, computer uh, partners. This is already happening. Like there are, you know, dozens, hundreds of apps available which uh, already do this. But we'll see progress, I believe, we'll see progress in it becoming more and more convincing and more and more satisfying to the user. And once it becomes satisfying to the user, we have the core principle of follow the money. Mm. What money can the commercial sex industry make from um, convincing people that the most fulfilling thing they can do with their phone or their internet connection is to have prolonged, maybe sexual, but maybe romantic conversations and interactions with an artificial intelligence. I think that's going to be really um, powerfully impacting people's growing understanding of what relationships and sex are. Yeah. Um, it's compelling narrative. We know how compelling video games are. We know how many hours we spend on video games already. But if we start tapping into the human desire for connection, for intimacy, for love, to be known and to be, and to feel that you know somebody else, that could be very, very powerful. And we've seen the first hints of it in some countries already. Wow. I mean, the, the, um, the thing with pornography is it sort of subtly subverts sex. So it, it makes it about one person's um, you know, pleasure rather than mutual pleasure. It makes it about control and dominance and you know the development of specific desires. And I, I imagine if you think about how things get commercialized and how the, our human nature works, yeah. the same will happen. So we're not going to have, I, I can't imagine we're going to have too much sort of, we might have some romantic kind of interplay with an AI, but surely the more likely uh, path is a darker one. I, I'm, I think we might, have, I think there's room for both if we come down to it, because romance literature is huge. And young people sink hours of time into whether it's a rom-com film or it's a fan fiction of love. And so I, I could see room for both okay. um, going on, but also this idea that why do they need to be separated? Why can't I um, talk to this? If they can make money out of you buying an app, which you can talk to about both. Yeah. And then you can pay for up to extra upgrades to get mm. the more visual mm. package. Mm. Um, that will, that, that may happen, but why would it be just one of them? I think it will be, but I think it will be one of them both. But the, but the implication then is much like with pornography, when you then take the skills you've learned around relationships or the, the view of that thing that you've learned from, yeah. from a service that you're ultimately paying for to yeah. meet your desires. And you try to translate that onto an actual human interaction that can be a disaster. Absolutely. And, and it will be more of the same. So we've already seen young people asking teach me like one of the lessons I'm doing in a couple of weeks is about um, how do I express love and we're going to talk about love languages which is just one framework but you know just how do we express love and kind of stuff which historically Christians might have put into like a marriage course but we're bringing it into the school because they're asking questions about so how do I show love and affection how, how do I do a good job of this um, because they want to know and they are starting to realize the movies, the books, the TV, the social media, hashtag relationship goals hasn't taught them how to actually manage relationships. And as many of them may not have good role models in their personal life showing them a good relationship, they're hungry for how do I have a good relationship? How do I do this really well? 
Gareth, this has been fascinating. Uh, you People want to need to keep up with you because you are one of those people who kind of has uh, you, your your social media feed, for example. If you still use Twitter, you should follow Gareth. What's your Twitter account? Uh, oh, uh, at Blind Fish Ideas, old at, name. Wow. So <laughs> just one more time, at Blind Fish Ideas. Yep. Let's oh. not even explain why. No. That is how you find Gareth, but you should follow him because he's got a stream of this stuff all the time. And just how do people get in touch with or or catch up with what Asset is doing? Two brilliant ways. Um, you, if you want to, if this has stirred something in you, you're like, actually, maybe God's calling you to do something around this. Um, get trained to go into schools. There is a lack of adults who talk to young people about relationships and, and sex from position of knowledge and a good foundation. If that's you, come talk to us. We've got training opportunities, but we've also doing some training um, for Christian youth workers to talk about relationships and sex in a Christian context. How do you do it in your small groups? How do you do it on the bus trip back from satellites? You know, when those questions come up, how do you do a really good job of talking about it? Um, those are the two best ones, and it's both for our website. So it's asset-uk.com. Gareth, thank you so much. Thank you. was great and I would really like to add my own recommendation to Gareth he's a great resource and the, the materials they produce the training they put on is really really high quality so do get yourself to something that they do um, brilliant thank you so much Martin now listening to that Rachel you are you are Rachel Gardner author of the sex thing <laughs> author of a thousand unfortunate on stage sexual innuendos Many of them not intended. No, never intended. And uh, you were listening to that, probably mm. sort of desperate to jump in. Um, but I didn't invite you to no, it. No, no, I, I wasn't allowed anywhere near so it. So sorry. <laughs> um, but, but but as you listen to that and that kind of wide range of, of things, some of them have been around a long time. Some of them have been um, uh, more recent or even some of them are, are things we're projecting into the future. Do you think young people have any sort of universal experience of sex and relationships and get, you know, is, is, are there any things that are an issue for all young people? Yes. Or, and is, and for how long do they remain a real front and center issue in adolescence? I think I've always, what I've appreciated in conversations with Gareth is his deep awareness and appreciation of the journey of, of sort of sexual maturation mm. and, and what he does, and I think what I find so helpful about Asset and other groups like this, is they're not driven by ideology. They're driven by, this is a, a young person's journey of sexual maturation. They need to be asking these questions. They need to be finding a big space to explore, ask curiosity questions about who they are and how they're going to work this stuff out. And I think we... I think he's really helped me understand how sometimes the church's sort of default position of yuck when it comes to puberty mm. is really unhelpful for young people. So we kind of, as church, we like to kind of know what the trends are and what the ideologies is around certain ideas. Yes. And we kind of have a view on that. And then we tend to not really think deeply about puberty and how questions about bodily discharge and where your mind, how your brain is developing and how your body is changing and how you're dealing with these urges. And, and, and then you're working this out, not just in a contextless space, but you're working it out in the 21st century context of online digital spaces. And I think he's really good at helping us think really positively about young people's sexual mm. development. And I think the, 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 the worst thing is if you hear me sounding like I'm saying, it's a phase. 
Yeah. When a young person is, is experiencing an, a polyamorous relationship, it's just a phase. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is I think youth ministry serves young people really well when we recognize that they are on a journey. Yeah. That, that actually what you might be experiencing in the moments with this group might not be a permanent space they land in. But it, at the moment, it's serving a purpose or it's enabling them to ask questions in a way that feels more freeing than last year. I realize I sound a little bit complex can when I'm saying you, that. Can I ask you a question about that? So um, if you have a young person who's presenting one of these kind of, I don't want to call it an issue, but they are, they're exploring sex in a, or relationships in a way that you would say is unorthodox or unhealthy. Yes. Is it better to... Stand at slightly stand at a distance, continue to love them, you know, and, and by doing that, do you actually give them a better chance of coming out the other side of a period of exploration? Mm. Or is it more helpful to say, actually, we think this is wrong and here's why? Well, I think that the binary that we find ourselves in is because of the ideological debates, we feel that we have to either be for or against mm. what's happening. And that's a really unhelpful thing it's not that I'm either affirming of a young person or I'm not affirming and I think the way I picture it is I'm stood next to a young person mm. they have they, they will always experience the support of me standing next to them and my role is a coaching role is to help ask some opening up questions around what might be going on for this young person so there might be a young person in my youth group who's in a variety of different relationships, they might use the word polyamory, they might not know what that word means. Um, and actually what I'm perceiving is deep intimate friendships that actually could be released from thinking sex has to be part of this. It's mm. deep intimate relations. How can I help them explore what deep intimate friendship looks like? Or it could be there's a level of toxic, unequal, manipulative stuff going on here. Mm. So what might be presenting as one thing, polyamory, might actually be a, a kind of domestic violence kind of scenario. So I think when you're sitting in front of a young person trying to work out whether the thing they're presenting to you, you agree with or not, you can't really see the young person. You're just seeing the thing they present to you. Yes. If you're sitting alongside them thinking, how is this helping them make sense of relationships? We all need to make sense of relationships. We all need to work out where our boundaries are. We all need to work out how we hold on to our identity and not keep changing completely who we are, depending on who we're with. So let me perceive what's going on from from the same position that they're in, but with maturity, mm. with years of confidence, with years of experience, and with a deep love for this young person and a love for them to become all that Christ has made them to be, what can I bring into this mix? And I think, I mean, we could spend forever talking about this, but this is the challenge for youth workers because often we feel that we can do that, but then the moment we think about the wider church and maybe our church leaders or mm. parents or onlookers, we suddenly feel... I now need to talk to them about whether I'm okay with this. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not sure what what you think I am or I'm not. I, I'm fully okay with this young person. Yes. <laughs> They're amazing. Um, and we're here with them as they work this stuff out. Does that answer your well, question it, or is it, it lots of words no, strung no, together? No it, <laughs> no, it does answer the question. I think what I have always wrestled with is the, the concern that, Young people are forming their identity in adolescence. Their brain is forming. And one of the ways they do that is they begin to push back against uh, their upbringing, their parents, and really anything that feels like a hard wall, anything that feels like a hard boundary. So young people often form their, their themselves and their, you know, within adolescence 
in opposition to, in reaction to hard boundaries around them. Now, some hard boundaries are safe. Some hard boundaries are the, the law. You know, they stop you from ending up in prison. They and stop you from ending up dead. You know, so they're very helpful. But but sometimes when we push against something, we actually entrench then mm. a behaviour that is is sort of being um, generated in reaction and in opposition to. Mm. So I guess I'm just I, I'm always wrestling with that as a concept really with young people. Is it better to actually give quite soft boundaries and quite soft pushback and like you know i'm like you're saying standing alongside journeying with mm. rather than saying actually the bible says no mm. uh we say no to this we stand against this because if we do that there's a chance they'll actually entrench that behavior rather than exploring lots of different ones yeah and the and the option isn't i either present this young person with boundaries to keep them safe or I don't, I stand alongside them. Mm. That's not what's going no. on here at all. So I, I remember, and again, this is this works, this illustration, because it's so laughable now. So I remember being 16 years old, snogging the face off a boy that I met at a Christian camp. Classic. Classic. Classic Rachel Gardner story. Bonfire, this is. And feeling so much I mean so much shame off the scale unrelated shame to what I'd done because I realized that I transgressed a kind of a boundary that this group of people that I'd gone on this Christian camp with held they'd never communicated what these boundaries were but I just knew that by snogging the face of a guy that I didn't really know um even though like you know hands were kept in quite safe positions like uh, if, if that's what like a six-year-old did in my youth group I'd be like oh that's amazing that's great but I transgressed the lines and it was so I was I it did did a number on me um and I I keep thinking back to that and thinking the challenge in that situation was I vaguely knew a boundary had been crossed. Nobody communicated it, but nobody was there with me saying, that's interesting that you feel. Let's talk about that a little bit. What is it about that that, that maybe didn't work for you? And actually, had they helped me unpick, what it would have been would have been, I'd never felt like this before. I didn't know what to do with this. Um, it was really exciting that I didn't really know his name. Um, but what do I do with those feelings? And I, I just felt that experience locked me down as everything I shouldn't be based on the, the rules this group had come up with. So I think about that when I'm working with young people. I There are times where they do know a bit more about my you know, theological reflection on something. They might ask me questions. But that happens a very long way into a relationship with a young person when they're much older and their brain is able to cope with that kind of nuance and those deep questions. What I want them to know in the space is that I'm a safe person to help unpick why this situation felt difficult or unhelpful. So there's a great book that an American woman has written about consent. She doesn't come from a Christian perspective. She talks about how consent is a great sort of baseline for sexual intimacy but a terrible vision for relationships and she interviewed loads of uh, college students in the states and found that they were having consensual sexual experiences but they were miserable unhappy and just not very nice and I thought the role of a Christian youth worker or any youth worker in that space is to help a young person feel safe enough to say in the eyes of kind of sexual values, that was a consenting sexual experience, but it was horrible. Mm. 
I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel safe. I, well, I didn't feel valued. And, and, that, and I think it's those spaces that as Christian youth workers who carry the gospel, who, who long for so much for young people, we can be in those spaces, a- allowing them to have critical reflection on the sexual culture around them. And I think that is incredibly prophetic role that we can play. Yes. Um, and but I it's uncomfortable. It's it uncomfortable, isn't uncomfortable. it? Because we are we're still a spot it and stop it kind of church culture and there might be times with young people who are very vulnerable where our response is spot it and stop it because we know that what else is going on for them makes them vulnerable yes there there will still be times we'll do that but but gently but i think what you're saying i think the broad principle of what you're saying though it's uncomfortable Mm. is much better if we don't want to end up with i mean there's so many people now who are burned out by the purity culture of the Mm. 90s for Mm. example there's so many people reacting against it now we haven't had any ex-evangelicals on our podcast yet but i'm sure we will yes but there's lots of people who are saying you know this this kind of culture has just damaged me profoundly and i think what you're proposing is a is a much more holistic much more helpful hopefully less traumatizing mm. way of mm. of walking with young people but we have to recognize that it is uncomfortable mm. in the context of historic church culture certainly of the last hundred years what a wide-ranging mm. podcast and conversation we've had today um that's probably all we have time for we are going to play out with an unsung hero fantastic uh, i bef- love these martin bef- me too oh, they're great me too and thanks to david our unsung hero on the podcast who doesn't ever like to have his voice heard but spends a lot of time putting these together if you want to submit an unsung hero you can do so by emailing podcast at youthscape.co.uk last thing would you rate and review us please who me personally well you could if you, I have will, you ever done I'm it happy. um i think i may have done it. oh my goodness of course you have <laughs> well, you're supposed to say me, no of course it took not. about 10 years to become patreon supporter right okay. i was like i was so excited in that first flush i was like yeah this is great this podcast is great you love it don't you really enjoy it me well actually we we should say that right this second we haven't got producer dave he's somewhere else doing actual youth work yes Boring. he is actually doing youth work um so we have producer charles and it's me and producer charles that listen back to these yes, podcasts. yes we're the only ones i think um so if you do listen and you do enjoy it then please would you rate us on your podcast platform write a review if you can uh, it really helps it does. but we're going to play out now with yes a wonderful unsung hero Hi, I'm Charles, and my unsung hero is a lady called Heather, who was pretty new to the church, um, but saw a need for youth work for year sevens to nines, and so went about setting up a youth group for us, and uh, there was only a few young people uh, of that age in the church at the time, but because she set it up, more young people came, and um, and she let us name it, and we called it Madhouse, which is what happens when you let a bunch of year sevens name a youth group. Um, and she really had a heart for God and wanting young people to know God. And we went on some amazing trips. We went paintballing, we went swimming, we went brass rubbing and all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, and, and people who weren't part of church before became part of church. And so I think that was a really important step in a, in a a fair few people's faith journeys including mine and it really kept me going to church um, beyond just the Sunday schools and so I'm really grateful for that and I'm really grateful for her and everything that she brought to it.
thought you were poshing up a name that's got cheese in it. I thought that's what you were doing. Like you can't you, posh up cheese. I love cheese. You know, yeah, but you know, um, I found out recently that people who live near the Bath and West showground, some people actually call it Shepton Malay. No, oh my Yeah, goodness. Shepton Malay. Like some of this stuff are like, let's say. <laughs> Drilling. You sure? My money don't jiggle jiggle.